Welcome to the United Consciousness Podcast. We're on a journey to learn and connect the dots between people, their cultures, nature, and the universe. Over the course of the next several weeks, we will be openly discussing and learning about major religions throughout the world. So this week we'll be talking about Hinduism. Are there any facts that you can tell us about Hinduism to start off? Hindu's creator is Brahma. Brahma. And he's known as the grandfather and later equivalent of Prajapati, the first god. Prajapati was the first god. Yes. Interesting. Uh, Brahma is a supreme in the triad of great Hindu gods, and they include Shiva and Vishnu. So it's Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu. Correct. Some of the rituals are worship, recitations, meditation, and family-oriented rites of passage. They have annual festivals and occasional pilgrimages. Do you have any information on when it was formed? I do. Oldest religion in the world. It's called the oldest religion in the world. Correct. Um, it is a diverse system marked by a wide range of philosophies and shared concepts. So in other words, other religions use Hinduism as their base? You have four different denominations of Hinduism. Vaishnavism, Shaivism, Shaktism, and Smarta. Now, we do know there are significant numbers of Hindu communities in Southeast Asia, Bali, Indonesia, the Caribbean, North America, Europe, Africa, and some various other regions. Would you like to hear about their beliefs? Yeah, I'd like to hear about their beliefs. Okay. You have righteousness and ethics, which is Dharma. That is the foremost goal of a human being in Hinduism. The concept of dharma include behaviors that the order that makes life in the universe possible. Duties, rights, laws, conduct, virtues, and the right way of living. You also have livelihood and wealth, which is artha. Subjective and virtuous pursuit of wealth for livelihood, obligations, and economic prosperity. It includes all means of life, activities, and resources that enables one to be in a state one wants to be in. Wealth, career, and financial security. So you're saying that Hinduism, they're okay with being wealthy? Yes. As long as it's for the betterment of you? Yes. Okay. It is saying Artha is considered an important aim of human life. So it's a goal of human life? Yes. Is, is Artha? Yes. Interesting. Which Hama is success. Correct. Your own form of success. Your own form of success. Interesting. Hema is sensual pleasure. Passion, longing, pleasure of the senses, aesthetic enjoyment of life, affection, love, with or without sexual connotations. So that's good food, good people, good music, Without good sacrificing Dharma, Artha, and Moksha. Okay, so without sacrificing success you find joy or happiness right. or good feeling of your body. We're sacrificing your sacraments of life, love, um, marriage. So you, know. you can have you can have fun and still be married and still have a successful business. Right. In Hinduism. Right. Interesting. 
Moksha is the ultimate, most important goal in Hinduism. Concept associated with liberation from sorrow, suffering, and the birth-rebirth cycle. A release from this cycle in afterlife is called moksha. So moksha is, is the act of dying and being reborn? or The meaning of moksha differs among the various Hindu schools of thought. Advaita Vandata holds that after attaining moksha as a person knows their essence, Self is pure consciousness or the witness consciousness and identifies it identical to Brahman. So in other words, after you die, you realize that we're all one and connected to the main source? That's what I'm understanding. Is that what they believe? It's implying a setting free of hitherto feathered faculties, a removing of obstacles to an unrestricted life, permitting a person to be more truly a person in the full sense. The concept presumes an unused human potential of creativity, compassion, and understanding, which has been blocked and shut out. It's more than the liberation from life rebirth cycle of suffering. So it's more than the liberation of suffering or rebirth. It's while we're here unlocking that potential. Correct. That's my understanding. Karma translates literally as action, work, or deed and refers to a theory of moral law of cause and effect. It's a combination of casualty that may be ethical or non-ethical, and good or bad actions have consequences, and rebirth. Karma theory is interpreted as explaining the present circumstances of an individual with reference to his or her actions in the past. So karma is a, a calculation of the good and bad deeds or things you've done for society or yourself uh, that, that add up over time, add or subtract, and then at the end, you're judged? I think it's if you've done good, you will be rewarded with good. If you've done bad, you will be rewarded with not so good. As they say, karma comes back to get you in the end. Liberation from that through moksha is believed to ensure lasting happiness and peace. Hindu scriptures teach that the future is both a function of current human effort derived from free will and past human actions that set the circumstances. Liberation is through moksha, believed to ensure lasting happiness and peace. So it's through moksha, which is, which is feeling the oneness with Brahma? Moksha is the liberation and freedom. So if you feel you've done some negative karma, believe you can go through moksha and liberate yourself so that your karma isn't tainted. Hmm. And I'm sure we're going to learn more as we go. This is, we're all learning together. That's the fun of this podcast. Uh, we don't claim to be experts in anything. We're just trying to learn and, and learn about spirituality and consciousness and, and how we're all connected you. and learn with you because we are not experts. How about food? Is there anything about their food? You had mentioned um, the better things in life earlier, and Hinduism's okay with treating yourself well, it sounds like. Food customs? Yeah, food customs. Let's talk about that. What do they eat? Are they vegetarians? Respect for all life because divinity is believed to permeate all beings, including plants and non-human animals. Hindus embrace vegetarianism to respect higher forms of life. So Hindus are only vegetarians? Some are strict lacto-vegetarians. 
who never eat any meat, fish, or eggs. And there are others who are less strict vegetarians. Those who seek meat seek jatka, which is a quick death. Uh, method to produce meat. Okay, so they're saying no suffering involved. It's right, a quick they death. dislike halal, which is a slow bled death. Is it really? I, I didn't know that's what halal meant. Slow bled death. Really? I, I I think I would agree more with the quick death as well. With the jakta. I think I would definitely agree more with that than halal. I, I never realized that. I've eaten in halal restaurants quite a few times, and I was ignorant to that fact. Observant Hindus who do not eat meat almost always abstain from beef. Since the cow is traditionally identified as a caretaker and a maternal figure, they honor the cow as a symbol of unselfish giving, selfless sacrifice, gentleness, and tolerance. In India, I always see pictures of cows and being treated well. I always heard that they didn't eat beef, but I wasn't sure why, so now I know it's, it's with their religion. Some Hindus, such as those belonging to the Shaktism tradition, and Hindus in regions such as Bali and Nepal, practice animal sacrifice. Okay. Sacrificed animal is eaten as ritual food. The Vaishnava Hindus abhor and vigorously oppose animal sacrifice. Okay, so even inside Hinduism, there's a wide array of people in this subset that, that believe different things as well. <laughs> They right, do. so we're we're already seeing we've already split. We've already seen a split of people inside one community, inside one religious group. Hindu culture is the next thing we can discuss, referring to mean aspects of culture that pertain to the religion, festivals, and that dress codes are followed appropriately by the Hindus. Yeah, that's interesting. So they have a dress code, and they you said they had a yearly festival earlier. They do. We'll get to that. Okay. Oh, what, what do they wear? Men frequently wear short coats, and the women wear a long scarf or robe called a sari. And is it Hindu, or is it Hinduism? Or is it the same thing, just, just different? I believe it's the same thing. How about the red dot between your eyes? What does that symbolize? Known as a bindi. It's known as a bindi. So the red dot on the forehead is known as a bindi? Yes. Bindi is a colored dot, or in modern times, a sticker worn on the center of the forehead, originally by Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, and Jains from the Indian subcontinent. And, and what, is it, what does it represent? It's known as the third eye chakra. It's the point or dot around which the mandala is created, representing the universe. The historical and cultural presidents in the region of Greater India. So it's a dot to represent their third eye or their their concealed sixth wisdom. Sense. It can represent concealed wisdom. That would make sense. I thought it meant like marriage too. Oh yes, a traditional bindi is red or maroon in color. A pinch of vermilion powder is applied with a ring finger to make a dot. Okay. In addition to the bindi in India, a vermilion mark in the parting of the hair just above the forehead is worn by married women as a commitment to long life and well-being of their husband. The groom applies sindoor in the part in the bride's hair. 
Are you gonna start wearing a bindi? Would you like me to? Sure. You will? Are you gonna mark me with one? <laughs> sure. Oh my gosh. So how about okay. symbolisms? What type of symbolisms do Hindus use and what do they mean? You know, I think I think I've seen um, something that looks very similar to the swastika. Yes. And I had some questions about that. Okay. Loading. Okay. Over the millennia of its development, Hindu has adopted several iconic symbols, forming part of the Hindu iconography. It's good enough. Symbols, for instance, the swastika has come to a wider association, while others like the Ayam are recognized as unique representations of Hinduism. So the swastika, what does that mean in Hinduism? Swastika is a symbol connoting general auspiciousness. It may represent purity of soul, truth, and stability, or alternatively, Surya, the sun. Its rotation in four directions have been used to represent many ideas, but primarily describes the four directions, the four Vedas, and their harmonious whole. Its use in Hinduism dates back to ancient times. Interesting. So, um, for example, Hitler just took that idea and spun it his own direction and used it. Correct. And took it a whole different direction. To mean something far more sinister. Om is a sacred sound symbol that represents the universe, the ultimate reality, Brahman. Its prefix is sometimes suffixed to all Vedic mantras and prayers. Om is often said to represent God in the three aspects of Brahman, Vishnu, and Shiva. Om. As the divine primordial vibration, it represents the one ultimate reality underlying and encompassing all of nature and all of existence. The pronunciation of Aum moves through all possible human linguistic vowel sounds and is different from the pronunciation of Om. Both are often symbolically equated, although they are sonically distinct. Interesting. Um, what else? Awesome. How about, um, do they have any prophets or do they believe that the gods are going to come back? Is there an apocalypse coming? Um, what does the future look like for Hinduism? <laughs> okay. Well, there is no prophecy on how the world ends in Hindu thought. Hindus believe that the universe goes through a sequence of cyclical eras. So it goes through a sequence of cyclical eras. Yes. So time repeats itself? It does. The Hindu does not believe in a single life on earth, followed by eternal joy or pain. They know that all souls reincarnate. How do they reincarnate? Do they reincarnate back into people? Like, like am I going to become a new person or am I going to become a fish? Well, the body dies, but the soul does not lives on in a counterpart of the physical body, which is called the astral body. It resides in a world not unlike this one, called the second world. Mm -hmm. 
in order to protect itself, to spiritually unfold and evolve, the soul lives on in another, another body after death, the astral body. At the right time, according to its karma, it is reborn into a flesh body. With the soul within it, enters a new physical body. This same cycle is repeated many times until the soul spiritually unfolds and reaches a certain state of perfection or mature evolution. Oh, wow. So what happens that? So you're saying you're reborn into a flesh body until you reach perfection in life? Correct. And then you become... The repeated cycles of births and deaths are known as samsara. What must a person do if he wishes to reach the blissful state of union with God? It also puts an end to pain, sorrow, and suffering. Does this process of reincarnation go on forever? No. Each time the soul takes on a new body, it gets closer and closer to becoming perfect. To gain a better birth each time, one must live according to the natural laws that Hinduism proclaims and live out the karma in this life positively and fully, while at the same time refraining from creating painful new karmas. <sighs> the release from samsara is called moksha. The soul is said to be freed from the bondage of birth and death. Moksha comes when all extraneous karmas have been resolved and God has been fully realized. Before Moksha, the soul must have gone through all experience of life in the physical world, faced in the spirit of love and understanding all of these various and varies experiences. So the varied experiences. So, so you need to go through all the feelings and, of life and still appreciate life for what it is to really obtain moksha you need to have love and hate and death and life and everything that you could feel in order to obtain moksha and only very few attain moksha one can know past and future births and by getting rid of desire one can put an end to birth altogether in all my births, with me God stayed. My present birth, God will terminate. To make me free of future births, God gave his grace to me. That's nice. It's good. Okay, so how do you become how do you become a Hindu or a part of the Hindu religion, Hinduism? How do you become a Hindu? Yeah. How do you make Hinduism a part of your life? You just show up at a, one of their monasteries or, or temples? Let's see. You can visit a nearby temple and show your willingness towards conversion. So, in other words, go to your local temple, find your local temple, wherever that may be, and talk to them. <laughs> That's how you become part of it? Correct. <laughs> you One go does there not and say, need I to think... be of Indian descent. You it's go there, and, so you go there and say, "What you're saying makes sense to me, and I want to be a part of it." Correct. Okay, sounds pretty easy. So, how might you find your local temple? Search it on Google. I would do a Google search for what? Just Hindu, Hindu temple. Hindu temple. Okay. 
Hindu temple in my area. Google's pretty good with that, right? Hindu temple near me. Hindu temple near me, okay. Oh, well. Summon over the border in Canada. Okay, there's some in Canada. And Massachusetts would be the next Boston? closest one. Holbrook. Holbrook? And that's just a Hindu temple, or is that a type of Hindu, Hinduism? Hindu temple. Here's how a about, Hindu timeline. What's, okay, how about this? What is the Hindu text called? Their, their Bible, or their book. Okay, it's called the Veda, V-E-D-A. Their book is called the Veda, V-E-D-A. Okay, so, so what are some major events in the Veda? The Vedas constitute the oldest layer of Sanskrit literature in the oldest scriptures of Hinduism. Distinguishing them from other religious texts, Hindus consider the Vedas to be not of man and impersonal authorless revelations of sacred sounds and texts heard by ancient sages after intense meditation. So ancient sages wrote this book after meditating? Correct. These books. Is it more than one or is it just a single book? It's a large body of religious texts. Okay, so so it's it's a lot of different authors and texts. Four Vedas. All put together. There's four Vedas. Yes. The Rig Veda, the Yajar Veda, the Sama Veda, and the Athar Veda. And it each has four subdivisions. They were orally transmitted since the second millennium BCE with the help of elaborate mnemonic techniques. The mantras are recited in the modern age for their phonology rather than the semantics and are considered to be primordial rhythms of creation preceding the forms to which they refer. By reciting them, the cosmos is regenerated by enlivening and nourishing the forms of creation at their base. Interesting. So they're saying the vibrations of the sounds are what's important, not necessarily the meaning behind it? That's my understanding. And that's the, the primordial vibrations of creation? Correct. <laughs> that's amazing. It is. How about their views on drugs and alcohol? I guess that goes back to what we talked about first about pleasing your senses, but also being a responsible adult or responsible to your family and the people around you. Hinduism actually disapproves of the use of drugs or alcohol. Although in some sects, cannabis products are used to promote spiritual experiences. Okay, so they use cannabis only and only for spiritual experiences. Correct. They don't um, abuse any drugs or alcohol. No. They place a strong emphasis on avoiding drunkenness and addictive behaviors. Okay, so they're, yeah, once again, they're against everything but cannabis and only cannabis in religious or, or ceremonial states. Correct. Or if you're trying to feel spiritual or connect to the people around you, maybe. Okay, how about, um, where did you say it was formed? Or where was Hinduism formed? I mean, I always thought it was India. I might be wrong, and I'd imagine maybe when it was formed, it wasn't called India. Well, most scholars believe Hinduism started somewhere between 2300 BC 
and 1500 BC in the Indus Valley near modern-day Pakistan. In Pakistan. Interesting. Right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Pakistan now is Muslim, mostly, correct? Or do they still practice Hinduism? I mean, I'm sure there are, there is Hinduism in Pakistan, but I thought most were Muslim. Muslims make up about 96.2% of Pakistan's population, while the Hindus are down to about 1.6%. Okay, but you also said that Hindus were 15% of the world's population. Correct. Which is amazing. So the place that it was created, it's... It's only 1% of the population, but it's 15% of the population of the world. Correct. Interesting figures. What events are coming up soon for the Hindus, say in the New York area or the East Coast of the United States? Okay, so we are in June. It said Hindu, and it brought up Native American. Well, we'll have to do that as a episode, too. Yeah. Native beliefs? Because that's not necessarily one of the biggest religions, but it could be one of the oldest. Right. Coming events. We have Ratha Yatra, July 1st. Guru Purnima, July 12th. These are all going on around New York City. We have Raksha Bandhan on August 11th. The India Independence Day celebration on August 15th in New Hyde Park. Krishna celebration going on in New Hyde Park on August 19th. And August 26th to September 4th, you will have the New York City Ganesh Festival in Floral Park, New York. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Ganesh Festival, you said. Yes. What is Ganesh again? Ganesh is the Hindu god known as the remover of obstacles. Very nice. What else we got? Okay, how about prophets or... I guess that would be gurus? Are the prof are the gurus prophets? Do they call them gurus in Hindu? Not gods, but prophets. Prophets? Yeah, or I think they call them gurus. Actually, unlike other religions in the world, the Hindu religion does not claim any one prophet, does not worship any one god, and does not believe in any one philosophic concept. It does not satisfy the traditional features of a religion or creed. So who tells the word, though? Who is the one, if there was no book left, who's the one preaching Hinduism um, without reading the book, just by knowing it? Swamis fulfill an essential role in Hindu society and serve as the spiritual and religious leaders and ministers of his or her Hindu temple or organization. So the Swami is the organizer of the temple? Yes. Okay, and the Swami is... Okay, so the Swami is like a... Um, like a priest or a, priest. a preacher. Okay. The Swami. We were asked to do an event 
with a dude that's named Swami. He's a cannabis guy, though. He breeds. Do you think he's a Swami in Hindu? I don't know. Like, I mean, do you think he has a cultivator? Do you think he has a temple? Could just be his na- his nickname. All right. So, um, how many gods did you say they have? How many gods do Hindus believe in? It says there are 33 million gods in Hinduism. There are 33 million gods. Okay, so how do they... What is a god? Like, what... Does does each god just have a role or a feeling? Does each god pertain to a certain thing, like a plant, a certain plant? That's interesting. 33 million. Yeah, I want to hear. I just want to hear about a couple of their gods. So we have Shiva, Vishnu, Ganesha, and Brahma. Yeah. So so here it says often the reference god is given to the main Hindu gods. G is the governor. O is the operator, and D destroyer. The governor is Lord Brahma, which we had talked about before. And he's the creator of the universe. The operator is Lord Vishnu, as he is the preserver of the universe. Then you have the destroyer, who is Lord Shiva, who removes whatever no longer serves a higher purpose in our lives. Can you tell me anything about Brahma, Lord Brahma? Brahma is a Hindu god referred to as the creator. The trinity of supreme divinity that includes Vishnu and Shiva. He is associated with creation, knowledge, and the Vedas. So there it says, um, due to a curse placed on Lord Brahma, he has very few temples devoted to him. While Brahma is revered, he is not a deity who is regularly worshipped. Wow, that's interesting. So the, the they call him the creator, Lord Brahma, right? But they don't really worship him. No, it says he was gradually eclipsed by Vishnu, Shiva, and the great goddess. Interesting. And he has four heads? He does. So four faces. Interesting. And the four heads of Brahma are eternally reciting the four Vedas in penance for having lied. So what, the creator lied? Sounds like what it. What did he lie about? It all started out when Brahma and Vishnu began the argument to prove their superiority. Brahma lied to Shiva, and this turned out to be a curse for him. This battle became so serious they were both willing to kill each other in order to prove their superiority. And who won? Well, they both died. Clashes of their weapons had the power of 10,000 suns and was capable enough to destroy the entire universe. So it's like the Big Bang? Interesting. Brahma took the form of a swan and went upwards while Vishnu took the form of a boar and started looking for a root. Vishnu realized that it's one of the miracles of Shiva, and he returned back in order to acknowledge the greatness of Shiva. On the other side, Brahma decided to trick in order to prove his superiority. 
He lied and said he reached the top of Lingam. Shiva was angry that Brahma lied and ordered Bhairava to punish Brahma. Bhavara grabbed the fifth head of Brahma so hard that Brahma started trembling. Vishnu requested Shiva to forgive him, and Shiva spared the life of Brahma, but cursed him not to be worshipped ever in the world. So that is why Hindu mythology explains why Brahma is not being worshipped. Interesting. Because he lied. Because he lied. So Lord Shiva is translated to the auspicious one. Shiva is also has the large elephantine head symbolizing wisdom and knowledge that he bestows upon his seekers. And Shiva has a wife. She's a goddess. Her name is um, Parvuti. Interesting. And Skanda, the god of war. Or the leader of the celestial army. Shiva lives in Mount Kalash, where he spends hundreds of years immersed in meditation. He's very interested in spiritual pursuits rather than worldly matters. So he keeps his head in the clouds all the time in meditation. He's not ever here in the in this world. On pictures you see of Lord Shiva, you always see like a snake, a moon, a triad, red dot we had talked about. You always see that on. Shiva also always has a drum. The sound emanating from the drum reflects the sacred sounds from the mantras and hymns of the Vedas, which are the Indian texts we talked about earlier. Shiva has a trident by his side. It represents the three gunas, Sattva, Raja, and Tamas. It also signifies the three states, waking, dreaming, and sleeping, but that he can uphold all three simultaneously. We want to thank you for tuning in with us on this journey of consciousness exploration. Please like and follow for more next week.